Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Today we're going to start a series in the book of Jeremiah, so as you're flipping open in your Bible, there's no shame at all in using the table of contents. Um, it's, uh, it's right in between Isaiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel, so if you, if you hit all those, you'll know you're in the right area. And uh, so we're going to call this series Summer Plans. Um, how many of you have summer plans? It, like you're taking trips or, you, or you've got something you're doing? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you need to get together and talk and, and form some plans. It looks like a lot of other people had some plans uh, this morning, uh, but that, that's all right. Uh, so anyway, summer plans is something that we do. Jeremiah talks a lot about plans. In fact, um, one of the most misquoted pieces of scripture comes from this book, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. That comes from this book, Je- uh, Jeremiah chapter one, where we are this morning. We're gonna see God has plans for Jeremiah's life. And so it's all throughout this book. But more than just summer plans, what I want us to talk about and kind of frame, frame your mind in this direction with me is how can you know God's plans for your life? You ever thought about that? I know that I have a lot. Like, how do you know what God wants you to do with your life? Like, where are you supposed to be and live? What are you supposed to do, you know? These are, these are questions that I think that we all, all have. And, and the, the question that I had a lot, especially growing up, is how am I supposed to know what those plans are? Is it like a scavenger hunt? Am I supposed to know like how to crack the code on what it is that God has planned for my life? Because I think we would all say that God does have specific plans for your life. And we've been taught that and we know that. But the question is, how do I know? How do I align? How do I find out what that is? I think growing up, I used to think of it as like, there's this metaphorical like red X that's out there somewhere and I've got to find it. And that is what God intends for my life. And if I somehow, you know, read the tea leaves wrong or walk through the wrong door or something like that, I'm going to screw the whole thing up. I'm going to like blow my whole life up if I don't find that spot. And that's a lot of pressure, you know. I remember as a freshman enrolling for college and I just spent high school playing sports and hanging out and making friends. And then I get to college campus and day one, they like declare a major, you know. And it's like, this is the moment where you're going to tell us what you're about to do for the next 40 years of your life or so. That's a lot of pressure to put on a teenager, you know? And so I was like, I don't know what I want to be. Um, I, I, I want to make a lot of money. And so, you know, medical people make money, but I don't like blood. So pharmacy, I declared a pharmacy major and I went to day one of chemistry and figured out I can't do that. And so <laughs> dropped that major, switched to like sports journalism and communications. That's what I was going to do. And I did that for about uh, a, a year, I guess, and decided that's not for me. And so I've just always had this, like, what am I supposed to do? My dad always knew, like, he knew he was going to, to be this and he's going to do this to get there. And he recently retired after doing that thing for about 35 years. And I'm like, I'm so envious of that, those people who just know what they're supposed to do. And so I wrestled with that a lot along the way. And maybe you're like me. How am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? And if I take a wrong turn, am I going to just mess the whole thing up? But what I want you to hear 
as we get into this, um, that's a wrong way of thinking of it. Like, God doesn't have some secret plan for your life that he's just not telling you about because that would be cruel, wouldn't it? That'd be extremely cruel and God's not cruel. I read a book that was really helpful for me and maybe if, if you're struggling with kind of the same line of thinking, it might be helpful for you too. It's called Just Do Something by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. It was really helpful, uh, short, easy read, so maybe you could check that out if it's something that you're interested in. But as we get into this passage and really start this book, that's the question we're gonna wrestle with. How do I know God's plans for my life? So Jeremiah, a little bit of backstory on him, um, not a ton, because honestly, you, you probably don't uh, have all of your uh, Israelite Old Testament kings uh, memorized or anything like that. So I'm not going to bore you with the details. There's information if you want to go and look at the Bible Project on YouTube or something like that. They have a good summary of the book of Jeremiah. But basically what you need to know is Jeremiah was a prophet for about 40 years in Judah from the King, King Josiah, if you remember from our Second Kings series last year, all the way up through Babylonian captivity when Babylon comes in and, and wipes them out and, and takes Daniel and his boys back to Babylon, that's when Jeremiah is a prophet, okay? It's about that time period. And so what we're gonna see here this morning is Jeremiah's calling, and I think it's gonna inform us and, and help us know what is it God's calling me to? How can I know his plans for my life? Before we jump in and, and discuss and read the text, I'd like for us just to pray. So would you bow your heads and let's, let's pray together. God, would you, um, would you just reveal this text to us, illuminate the things that we need to see, uh, would you help us to uh, hear and listen and follow and obey whatever it is that you're calling us to this morning? We're listening. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to jump in at verse 4. All right, verses 1 through 3 is all just context of who Jeremiah is, where he's from, and what time he served in. Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me. It says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, Jeremiah says. Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, don't say that I am only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. All right, so I want us to walk through Jeremiah's calling uh, quickly and then look at uh, some very practical, what does it look like for our calling? So that's where we're headed. So first, Jeremiah's calling, verses four and five. God says, I chose you, I set you apart, I appointed you. It says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. That word formed is, um, it's the same word that's used uh, for a potter with clay. And Jeremiah is actually gonna use that analogy again. I think it's in chapter 18, don't quote me on that. But there, he's the potter, we are the clay. And so we'll get there, but this is the same kind of idea, same kind of word that he formed you as a potter does with clay. My daughter Adley and I, we take some pottery classes together and it's a, it's a fun thing that we enjoy doing um, together. But the whole process of, of throwing pottery is very intentional. Every bit of it's on purpose. Now, if you're not 
a master at the craft, like you'll, you'll screw up and you'll do all kinds of wonky things to, to the clay and it's very easy to do, it's very easy to get sideways on it, but the whole process, process itself is very intentional. So first you gotta wedge the clay, which is just getting the clay ready and all the air bubbles out of it and stuff. And then you slam it on the wheel and you gotta center it and make sure it's not got any wobble to it or anything like that. Make sure it's perfectly centered. It's all very intentional. Every movement of your hands and even the speed of the wheel is very intentional. And then you pull up the walls and you start to shape it into whatever vessel you're forming. And then you gotta trim it and then you gotta fire it and then you gotta glaze it and then you gotta fire it again. Like every piece of the process is very intentional, it's on purpose. And that's what God's saying here. He's saying, I've, I've formed you with intentionality, with, with purpose in the womb. Actually, before I formed you in the womb. Did you see that? He said, before I formed you in the womb. This, this verse is often used or associated with um, the pro-life idea, the doctrine, the, the, the movement of the pro-life uh, idea that, that life begins at conception and, and I do believe that as God-fearing people that we should care about life. We should be pro-life from, from the womb all the way to the tomb is the way we would describe it. So we value and we fight for human life and I do think that that even means leveraging our vote in that direction, right? But here we see God is even more pro-life than we are. Like before I formed you in the womb. This is before conception even takes place. God is, is pre-pro-life, I guess, is the way that you would describe that, that he chose Jeremiah, that he called him, had plans for his life even before he was conceived. Same thing happens for Paul, by the way. Galatians chapter one, verse 15, Paul says, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, see, even Paul, so you got Old Testament Jeremiah, now you got New Testament Paul, both of them saying while they were in the womb, actually before they were in the womb, God chose them and had a plan for their lives. And what I would say is it's not just Jeremiah, it's not just Paul, it's you as well. That God knows you, he formed you with intentionality, with purpose, and he's got plans that are personal for your life. So in that moment, like when God says, I, I chose you before I formed you, do you see the sovereignty of God on display? That he is above all, he, he is bigger than all. The sovereignty of God is on full display here. Long before Jeremiah's birth and long before even the events of the day that God is gonna call him to go and speak into, before any of that existed, God chose Jeremiah and he had a personal plan for his life. He said, I chose you, specifically and intentionally. So I chose you, and he says, I set you apart. This is, this is what you might think of the old word consecrated. If you, don't, if, if you don't know what that means, consecrated just means to transfer from something that is common to the sacred or the holy. God says, I'm setting you apart. I'm not, you're not just common, you're not just in the world. You're, I'm setting you apart for a divine purpose and plan that I have for you. And then he says, I appointed you. I appointed you. Literally, it's saying, I appointed you prophet to the nations I have given you to be. In other words, it's not that God gives a job to Jeremiah, but that God gives Jeremiah to the job. And what is the job? Well, the job is not an easy one. 
as, as we're going to read uh, in, in verse 10, again, it says, See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, and then to build and plant. Like that, do, that doesn't sound like a fun job. Destroy and demolish, like tear down, uproot. And as we see, as we go throughout this book, like Jeremiah is called to a difficult task. He's going to be disowned by his family. He's going to be arrested, beaten, imprisoned, threatened, cheated by a relative, and he's going to spend a lot of his time in hiding. On top of that, in chapter 16, God's going to tell him, you can't marry anybody, you can't have any kids, you can't go to any funerals of loved ones, and not only funerals, you can't even go to any parties or feasts. Just completely socially cut off. And by the way, Jeremiah is going to be known as the weeping prophet. Anybody want to sign up for that job? This is not a fun job that he's being sent out to. It's a, it's, a, it's a message of judgment. It's a job that is gonna be tough. But just like all Old Testament prophets, it's also gonna be a job of hope. And that's what he says there in the end of verse 10, that you're gonna build and you're gonna plant. And so the point here is this. God has called Jeremiah to this specific purpose and plan that he has for his life. He chose him, set him apart, and he anointed him. Like if you just zoom out and just think about that, that's amazing, right? That the God of the universe intimately knows this young man named Jeremiah and says, I have a plan for your life. That's amazing. But if you read verse six, Jeremiah responds in kind of a weird way. I mean, it's not surprising because we do it too, but Jeremiah protests. Like God says, I've, I've got a great plan for your life. I'm setting you apart. I'm anointing you. And Jeremiah's like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's got two excuses. He says, I don't know how to speak, and I'm too young. Essentially, what he's saying is this. I don't have the education or the experience. I don't have the education or the experience, which I don't know about for you, but that is so relatable. <laughs> Like thinking about the things that God has called me to do so often, my biggest excuse is, I don't, I mean, who am I? Like, I don't have the education or the experience to do that. In fact, most of the time I stand up here, I feel that exact same way. I don't have the education or the experience to do this. So it's relatable. It's just this feeling of inadequacy that, that surely somebody else would be better than me for this job, is what Jeremiah is saying. And what God does is, is interesting. He, he confirms Jeremiah's calling in verses seven and eight. Then the Lord said to me, don't say that I'm only a youth. Basically God's saying, wait, you didn't think I knew your age? <laughs> don't say that I'm only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. So God doesn't get mad at him. He just reaffirms him. He gives him three instructions. Go where I send you, say what I tell you to say, and don't be afraid. Go where I send you, say what I tell you, and don't be afraid. That last part, don't be afraid, is statistically the most given command in all of Scripture. Did you know that? Don't be afraid. In fact, if you are a Bible reader or whatnot, like you probably can think of some, some places where God has said that, like fear not, don't be afraid. It, it happens throughout Scripture, And the thing about it is Jeremiah's fear is very valid, isn't it? Like what God is calling him to is not going to be easy. His fear is real. 
And our fears are real. In fact, I would say fear is a, is a good gift that God has given us. It's a good emotion that he has given us to protect us from danger. But here, we see that his fear could keep him from following in the things that God has set him apart and called him to do. And we can't let fear keep us from obeying the things God is calling us to. It's such a temptation to allow the fears that we can get in our minds to keep us from the things that he's actually calling us to step out to. And what God says is, he says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. This is a promise of God used over a hundred times in the Old Testament. I'll be with you. And we have that same kind of saying in our, in our uh, vocab, don't we? Like, I'm with you. I'm right here, right behind you, that kind of a thing. You, you might say it if you agree with somebody. Like, yeah, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Or if like there's some danger or like they're stepping into something, it's like, yeah, I got your back. I'm right here with you. The thing about the, that is that's a different way than this is <laughs> meaning when God says, I'm with you. Like people use it differently because people will let you down. Have you ever seen on the internet uh, the, the videos of the trust fall fails? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The trust fall where you just close your eyes and fall backwards and just hope people catch you and it usually ends in a trip to the ER or something. People will let you down. God won't. And that's kind of the point here. God says, I'm, I'm with you. So a better way to understand what he's saying is, I'm standing for you. I'm fighting for you. I'll rescue you. It's the same promise um, that God gives to Moses as they're, as they're leaving Egypt. He says, I'm, I'm with you. You just, need to, you just need to be quiet. I'll fight for you, right? It's the same promise that David holds on to as he's standing before Goliath. Um, as, as he's standing there before Goliath and he says, I remember how God rescued me from the lion and the bear and he's gonna rescue me from this Philistine as well. You remember that? It's the same promise here to Jeremiah. In verse 19, if you skim down in your text, you'll see Jeremiah 119 says, God says, they will fight against you but never prevail over you since I'm with you to rescue you. You see it? Like God is, is promising to be with him. If, if I could boil down his calling, it's this. Jeremiah is simply called to be faithful to the calling and be confident that God is with him. Just be faithful to what God has said. Go where I send you, say what I tell you to say, and then be confident that God is with him. All right? So that's Jeremiah's calling. And we're gonna see over the course of this series how it plays out, how he follows through in this calling of God. Now I want us to see how this calling affects every single one of us. So go back to my first question. How do you know the plans that God has for you? How can you know? How can you know? I've never had a moment like Jeremiah, have you? <laughs> Where God just specifically says, hey, I'm calling you to this and this and this. It'd be nice, but I've never had that. So what can we do? Scripture informs us, and here's what I want you to see, that there are actually four categories of calling. So if you're taking any kind of notes, four categories of calling. We typically always jump straight to the last one, which is our vocation, what we're gonna do uh, for, for God. In fact, the, the Greek word actually is where we get the word vocation. The Greek word for calling is where we get our word vocation. So we've kind of twisted the idea to understand that calling equals vocation. I want you to see that it's bigger than that. Four, calling, or four categories of calling. First, number one, is salvation. The way that the Bible talks about calling more than anything else is in reference to salvation. 
More often than not, when it's talking about the calling of God, it is talking about salvation. And I could give you a ton of scripture references for that, that, that salvation is God choosing us and calling us to faith in Christ. Here's just one scripture reference for you to, for you to hear. Listen to this and see if it sounds familiar. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Jeremiah chapter one, doesn't it? I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Look, I know that hearing words like predestined and chose and all that, it, it can get uncomfortable sometimes and you might wanna jump into a conversation of the doctrine of what we would call election or predestination. I don't have the time for that here. I'd love to go to coffee and chat about it um, as long as you promise not to get worked up over it. Um, but but we, can, we can talk about that. What I would say is you can't read scripture without seeing that all throughout, God continually seems to set aside a group of people for himself, over and over. In the book of Deuteronomy, God flat out says, I chose you because I chose you. Not based off of anything that you've done, right? He says that to the Israelite people. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse nine says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So it's there, like obviously before the foundation of the world, God in some way in his sovereignty, he knew and he chose and he set aside a group of people for himself. And we're called in that first and foremost to salvation through Christ. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. This is the free gift offered to the entire world that Jesus came and met our sin problem. Our sin separates us from a holy God. Jesus came to this earth to live a life that we couldn't, die a death that we should have, and then he rose from the dead giving us life. That is the gospel message. That's the good news of the gospel and we are all called first and foremost to place our trust and our belief in him for our salvation. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so that is our, our, our calling. God wants every single one of us to place our trust in him and, and come to him in salvation. So if you're trying to figure out God's plan for your life, if you're trying to figure out what it is God wants you to do, first and foremost, God calls you to salvation. Have you trusted him for your salvation? Have you placed your belief and your trust in him? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you walked an aisle as a kid. I'm asking have you placed your belief in him, which we know from our John series means you've placed your whole life in his hands. It's not just head knowledge. It's talking about placing your whole life in him, saying I can't do any of it, but you've done all of it, and I'm trusting you with my life. That's what salvation is. And so I would say, have you done that? That's your primary calling is to salvation. Your primary calling, listen, is not your vocation. First and foremost, your identity is not in what you do for him. Your identity is rooted in Christ alone. 
10 to 20 years from now, you won't be doing that thing that you're doing now, but 10 million years from now, you're still gonna be a child of God, right? You're still gonna be his. So before anything else, you are a child of God through faith in Christ. And you've gotta understand that because that feeds into every other bit of calling that we're about to talk about. Salvation is primary. The second calling is mission. So once you've placed your trust and your faith in in Jesus, you're a follower of him. Every single follower of Jesus is called to the mission of Christ. Matthew chapter 28 is what we call the Great Commission. And I know that you know it because I've quoted it several times up here to you, right? Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them, right? That That is our calling as followers of Jesus. And you gotta understand that the call to make disciples is not just for a special group of Christians who go to Bible school or have the title of pastor or missionary. It's your calling just as as much as it's mine. It's every single one of our calling to make disciples. We've gotta get away from this idea that mission is just the special trips our church takes or something that people move far away to do. It's your calling. It's your calling to see the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's, it's, it's the basis, it's the it's the most basic meaning of what it is to be a Christian. It's to see the spread of the gospel to the nations. Is that your number one priority? So just like God told Jeremiah, he's telling you the same thing. He's saying, go where I send you, say what I tell you to say. The how and the where, those things look differently for each of us, and we'll get to that in just a second. But understand salvation and mission are concrete, those are true for every single follower of Jesus. Every single one of us, every follower of Jesus is called to salvation and mission. And then those things feed into the final two callings. Number three, the third calling is circles. That's what I would call that is is the circles. And, And maybe we don't think of this one much, and here's what I mean by circles. God has uniquely placed each and every one of us in different spheres of influence in our lives. Uniquely placed you. And so think about the different spheres that that you might encompass. I like to think of it in terms of families. So in a family, you're going to have brothers and sisters, moms and dads, husbands and wives. I would even throw in friend circles into this uh, because friends a lot of times are closer than family, right? And so what are those for you? For me, I'm I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a friend. I'm all of those different things, and I am called in those different spheres to, to display Christ in every one of those areas of my life. Did you know that Ephesians 5 and 6 actually says that how I am as a husband and as a dad reflects the gospel? So before any job that I have, <laughs> like this, this calling as a dad and as a husband takes priority. You know, I'm called to this sphere. So I'm called to that family, and then I'm also called to a church family. Every single believer is called to a church family. God calls us to be actively involved in his work on this earth through what he's ordained and called the church. Not casual, not half-hearted, but all in. Serving and loving and giving and teaching and training and spurring one another on. That's why it matters when you're here and when you're not here. It matters because we're called to do this thing together. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul says this to the church. He says, I, Paul, urge you or I beg you to walk worthy of your calling. 
See, that's what the church is for. We come alongside one another to urge one another as we're trying our best just to live out our calling. You see it? So these three categories, salvation, mission, and, and circles or spheres or families, whatever you want to call it, we got to understand all that, that that's foundational before we ever even get to the fourth, that I'm called to Christ and salvation, I'm called to his mission, and I'm called to these families or circles. And based off of those three things, well, then you can start to discern the fourth, fourth calling, which is the one that we always want to go to first. The fourth calling is work. What do I actually do? You know, we, we, we've simplified this whole idea of Christ calling us down to, again, just the 30 years that we're gonna draw a paycheck. It's bigger than that. What do I actually do? Knowing, like we're all called to make disciples. And it's gonna flesh itself out in different ways because we're all in different spheres and have different influence. So the question you might be asking is, what, how, how do you know? Like, how do you figure that out? Here's what I would say. It's gonna look differently for each of us. So look at what you're good at, look at what you're passionate about, and do a lot of that thing. Look at, look at what you're good at, look at what you're passionate about, and do a lot of that thing all for the glory of Christ. See, we tend to, I think, overthink this in some ways. We tend to overthink it and we tend to place uh, maybe certain kinds of work over others and we place this value system of a pastor has gotta be better than a banker and a missionary is better than an accountant. And, but that's poor thinking. That's simplifying this whole idea of calling just into our vocation. It's bigger than that. There's a guy named William Tyndale and you might recognize his name. He was in the 1500s. He was burned at the stake uh, so that you could have the English Bible that you hold in your lap. That's who William Tyndale is. He says this whenever it comes to thinking about our work and how we value certain jobs over another. He says, if we look externally, there is difference between washing dishes and preaching the word of God. But as touching to please God, there is no difference at all. That's a biblical view of work, that there's no difference when done to the honor of the Lord between preaching and washing the dishes. You see what he's saying? That's a biblical view of work. All vocations are valuable in the eyes of God. So here's what I would say. Every vocation is an avenue to live out your calling. Every single one of them. So whatever you do for a paycheck is an avenue for God to use. Right? We're all called to serve Christ in tons of different ways based off of your talents and your giftings and your desires and your abilities and your passions and your opportunities. In, in all those different ways, serve Christ. Again, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a pastor, whether you wash dishes, like serve Christ in those ways. And I know that you're thinking, well, but what about like, called to ministry, because I'm pretty sure that that's what this is talking about here. He, he, he's called to some kind of ministry or pastoral ministry of some kind. And so just, if I could just talk on, on that for just a second, a, a specific call to ministry. Um, first Timothy chapter three talks about the call to uh, ministry. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to be an overseer or a pastor, he desires a noble work. And so I'm not gonna break all this down, but maybe God has placed a desire in your heart that can't really be explained, 
for some kind of vocational ministry. Maybe, maybe that's you, and, and here's what I would say. I wanna take you to coffee or lunch sometime this week. I wanna talk about this with you because it's bigger than, than just a, a few minute conversation here. God does set aside people for vocational ministry, absolutely. And we desperately need more in the church. I think we're, we're gonna see a time where maybe there's, there's more pastors or more churches needing a pastor than there are pastors to fill those, those churches. So we, we desperately need people hearing and responding to the call of God on their life for vocational ministry. And it's gonna be affirmed in you by a desire, by special giftings that you may have, but also by affirmation of the church. The church coming in and affirming those things in your life. You see that all throughout the book of Acts. You know, read Acts 13 today if you're interested in that. But God does set aside people for ministry. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, right? But I hope you're hearing that this is, this is not just talking pastoral ministry. This is every single person in this room. You're called to salvation. You're called to mission. You're called to the spheres and the circles that he's placed you in. And then you're called, yes, to work and use it all for the glory of God. So when I was a teenager, I, um, I was at church camp and I began to sense that God was doing something in my life and maybe he was calling me to some kind of vocational type of ministry. And honestly, I dodged it. I didn't want any part of it. Um, and so I tried to play it off on, on you know, what it might be or, or how to interpret what I was feeling at church camp. And I was involved in playing music and uh, in the worship band and stuff like that. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what it is. You know, he's just, he's wanting me to be in leading worship uh, as a high school kid and as a, maybe even in, into college. And so I just tried to dodge it. I also didn't want any part of pastoral ministry because my grandpa was a pastor and I saw all the junk that he had to deal with. And also like public speaking was the most terrifying thing in all the world to me. It really was. I could tell you all kinds of stories of me getting on a stage and just falling flat on my face. And so I ran from it. I didn't want any part of ministry at all. And like Jeremiah, I thought, why me? You know, like, <laughs> there's got to be somebody better. I'm not pastor material. I know, I know myself. And so I went, like I told you earlier, I went to Southwestern Oklahoma State and tried out a couple of different majors. That didn't work out. Really hated that area and that school. And so I transferred uh, to the real OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University. And um, even there, I'm at this great Bible school. I was still dodging this idea of call to ministry in my life. And so I declared a major in graphic design. And uh, I graduated. I've got my undergrad is in, in graphic design. Um, but God's funny. And my first job out of college was at a church. And I was the graphic designer at a church there. And, and I just never could shake that feeling or that pull towards ministry. It just never would go away. It didn't make any sense. And I just found myself just doing more and more ministry at the church. And they asked me to be a part of starting a college ministry. And I was like, all right. And so I, I gave it a shot. And, and we launched into it not knowing what we were doing at all. And God used it for incredible things. And people in the church and friends, they just kept telling me, hey, I think you're supposed to do this for real. I'll never forget it. After one of our college services, I, I spoke or preached or, or whatever. And 
One of my best friends, Mary Beth Qualls, she came up to me afterwards and she goes, hey, I, th- I think you missed your calling, you know? And uh, which is, I mean, it's surprising because I, honestly, I'm sure that, that sermon was horrible. I'm sure it was terrible. I'm sure it was just a bunch of regurgitated Matt Chandler and David Platt quotes and, and whatnot. But, you know, she, she came up and affirmed me in that. And so just a side note, like church, like the encouragement of the church is one of the primary ways that, that God will affirm people into ministry. Like, again, Acts, just read it. And so that happened for me um, continually over and over, and I just began to just fall, follow Christ even more into what it would look like to be into pastoral ministry. I was ordained at my church there in Oklahoma. I went on to do some seminary and different things like that, and now I've just followed him um, he's directed our path here into central Arkansas to serve as a pastor at second. Listen, I never could have planned or predicted any of that. If I would have been looking for some metaphorical red X out there, there's not a shot I would have landed in Greenbrier, Arkansas. <laughs> you know? But, but the sovereignty of God. I just said, go where I send you, say what I tell you to say, and don't be afraid. I'll be with you. And so far, I've found that to be true. And so what I would say to you as we close is what about you? You know, what, what is God calling you to do? What's he calling you to? And, and are you being faithful? Or are you running scared? If nothing else, hear today that he's chosen you, he's set you apart, he's appointed you, he's got, he's got a, a, a purpose and a plan for your life. And he's with you. So just go where he sends you and say what he tells you to say, no matter what kind of job or paycheck you may have. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.